do it prayerfully and, and, and with respect to the people the best we can, but also recognize that ministry doesn't exist for the minister. Ministry exists for those we are ministering to. And if we're not doing something that is relevantly able for uh, relevant in a way that they connect to it or receive that communication, then again, our brand is only people's perception of us. So we can say all we want about who we are, but unless we actually take actions to where people can receive that message, that's not our brand. That was the voice of David Calavita. David is the director of marketing and communication for Life Teen International. In this episode, we talked a lot about branding in the church and using design as a bridge to bring people into the church and to evangelize them, to show beauty first that draws them in and then capture them with the heart of Christ. I love my conversation with David in this episode because he really just pushes our thinking about what the status quo in the church is, what it shouldn't be, and how we can keep growing the church past where we are to new heights. So without further ado, let's jump into this episode with so many truth bombs, so much value with David Calvita. Hello, hello, hello. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Nick Longo Show. Today I am sitting here with designer extraordinaire, David Calvita. David, how you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. How are you doing? I'm doing good, man. You know, I'm trying to survive uh, quarantine life. I'm, you know, it's just wild, especially having an eight-month-old right now, trying to just figure out, like, how to manage working from home, being a husband, (laughs) doing ministry, doing podcasts, and everything else all at the same time. It's just wild, dude wild it definitely is definitely how are you doing with everything man how are you doing with uh COVID-19 you know it depends on the day honestly some days uh I'd be lying if I said I don't get kind of wrapped up in it and get discouraged or something but uh uh other days you know uh, I think I feel the presence of the grace a little bit better uh today I'm feeling pretty good I woke up had a I think a good night's sleep and didn't think about the world ending all night long. So, um, yeah, yeah, I think I'm doing okay. It literally, it feels like some days I'm like, Oh, it's whatever I'm over. I'm definitely, I'm definitely over it. Like I want, I want to get back, but then there are also some days where I'm like, wow, this, like there was a lot of people who died today. This is crazy. Like I, this is a world that I'm freaking out like some days, but it's just keeping the balance, right? Keeping the balance. Yeah. And I think, I mean, <clears throat> the keeping perspective too, in the sense, and I hope, I mean, people could jump on this and say it sounds cold, so whatever. But like, uh, this, like, we, people are dying. That's horrible for sure. And yeah. I don't, I wouldn't make light of that at all. But like, I mean, man, it's a part of life, right? And this is the hope of, of Catholicism, right? The hope of the resurrection in that, um, every day like there is something that's gonna try to attempt to steal not only our, our peace but our life in some way you know um so that perspective helps again depends on the day for me if i can hold that perspective or not yeah for sure for sure so david you are um tell everybody what, what's your t- you work with life teen you do you do a lot of stuff uh you're a great designer um tell tell us tell the people a little bit about yourself 
Yeah, uh, so uh, I am the let me see, let me run this. The director of creative and marketing for Life Team. Uh, I've been with Life Team for a little over six years, I think now. And um, yeah, so uh, I have an awesome team, and and basically our team is responsible or culpable, however you want to put it, for um, pretty much any of the visuals that are coming out of Life Team. So whether that's from like a book, from layouts to covers to um, some our, our websites, a lot of our office, our marketing and media, stuff like that. We don't necessarily do everything. We have some very talented people in other departments that we work with and collaborate, you know, but we definitely, uh, we have our hand in it. So yeah. uh, it's, it's good. It's exciting. And uh, it's, it's constantly, I think um, every day is a new day with whatever we're trying to do to reach a team, you know? That's cool, man. Dude, uh, I'm assuming you just said you did some design <laughs> for the website. I'm assuming you did uh, the CYMC Catholic Youth Ministry Convention website, which, by the way, is extremely cool. If you have not seen Thanks, this, man. <clears throat> go and watch it or go look at it. I mean, you watch it. It's just yeah. so interactive. <clears throat> like, it's Apple status. Like, tell us a little bit about that. <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate it. So, I mean, I, I certainly can't take the the credit for that. Again, we have an awesome team. And I would say the, the bulk of what we've been trying to do with um, marketing, uh, kind of creating a story around the Catholic Youth Ministry Convention or CYMC is, uh, has been done with, uh, obviously we have great leadership, but with uh, a coworker of mine, his name is Patrick Goldpool. He, Goldpool, he works here in the, uh, the marketing department. That guy's, uh, man, he's, he's a genius. He's um, had a lot of experience. He's worked for Oakley, for Sanook, a, a kind wow. of a surfscape brand out here in California. He was creative director at Oakley. Um, he's done a lot of stuff for like, like big, huge, like store displays for Adidas and stuff. He's kind of had, had his hand in everything. Uh, spent a lot of time in San Francisco doing kind of the agency life stuff there. And I'm, just a super devout Catholic dude and really one of my best friends. And uh, when we had the opportunity to bring him in a couple of years ago to Life Teen, uh, we jumped on it. And uh, so the whole idea with uh, uh, CYMC was creating that story with him. And David uh, David Roberts is our our web developer. Yeah. So we did the whole – kind of created the whole marketing story behind it, the campaign of, of our theme, which is New Fire. Yeah. And kind of um, creating this sort of um, – like post-apocalyptic utopian kind of world. And it's funny because that was before any yeah. of this, uh, like <laughs> a- actual <laughs> apocalyptic stuff started to happen. Right. Right. Um, but really it just was a reflection of, of what we see in the early church reading through the book of acts in that the, the early church, they, they lived in a world that was very much opposition to them and, and they didn't run from that world. They didn't create little, uh, communes outside of that world. Like they lived in that world. Right. I mean, even you, you see like St. Paul, who, who was a tent maker in that world. And, and I think the early church uh, had such a, a zeal and a passion and obviously driven by the Holy Spirit that fell upon them to, to live radically different in the midst of the world, not outside of it to say, hey, come over here to shake a finger at a distance, but to say like, no, like we're going to live in the, uh, the decay of this world yeah. and shine our light in a way that the world wonders what we have. And, and they did it radically and they did it in an underground way. And, and they obviously were persecuted uh, for it. And so we kind of wanted to, obviously we're not living in that condition, but we wanted to, as we focus on this idea of new fire, kind of throw back to that idea that the early church was, was, was not a, an establishment, so to speak. Like it was a movement of, of the body of Christ. And, you know, they didn't have a building that said, you know, so-and-so's church, like yeah. they were the church, they were powered by the Holy spirit, this new fire that was actually changing the world around them because they were living so radically for Christ. And so we kind of want to have fun with that and then throw it into this sort of like Blade Runner inspired type era 
a lot of like vintage technology kind of takeover, hacking, coding, <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah. And so that all kind of plays out uh, in the website when you go there. And we've kind of in the story, which um, we haven't really been able to fully develop in some of the ways we wanted to, because obviously with uh, this COVID thing going on, we've been shifting and pivoting to try to be as present as we can to whatever ways we can serve the church and especially youth ministry in this moment. Yeah. So we've halted a lot of things and redirected um, trying to respond to where God has positioned us. But we've kind of in the story, we've kind of created this whole uh, almost like false company called status corp. And basically it's, it's in a nutshell, it's the embodiment of mediocrity in the church as what we would say. And so status corps motto is ministry as usual. In other words, like just coast, baptism numbers are down confirmations are down people are leaving the church young adults are hemorrhaging out of the church but ministry is usual and so (laughs) new fire is kind of this idea of taking over or infiltrating status corpse kind of uh, ministry as usual and say we can't afford ministry as usual we've got to have zeal and passion and we've got to go for it any means possible it's kind of a rough i guess thirty thousand foot view of that story connected to the uh, catholic Union convention website so it's fun though we had a lot of great, great, uh, just, I think, meetings and collaboration with different people in our team and different departments in life team to make it happen. So it was really fun. Dude, I love that, man. It's it's cool to see. And especially like right now, ministry as normal is not what we're doing. So we, right? we're doing ministry as abnormal and uh, as crazy as it is. I mean, you're just figuring it out. You know, it's funny because um, like I, I was talking with, uh, with well, obviously like, uh, like, like Mark Hart and Joel Stepanek, like, there are some of our executives at Life Team. We we're talking recently, reflecting on this pivot we need to do, and, and what is the church and, and parishes need, and how do we serve without overstepping, and all that kind right. of stuff. And we were sort of just like um, in awe at what I would hope would be the Holy Spirit prompting us to even start to have that dialogue about how do we crush the notion of ministry as usual in our Catholic churches and in our ministries. And we were talking about it, yeah. not to say that we're trying to like, we're prophetic or anything like that, but like, you know, like a broken watch is what is, is correct twice a day. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like yeah. that kind of thing. We look back like, Oh man, like the Holy spirit was just putting stuff on our heart and, and coincidentally enough or prophetic enough. I don't, it just feels like it's something that we need to keep talking about is that the world, the circumstance, this pandemic has now forced us to, identify that we can't do what we've been doing. And so either we lean in and we adapt or we resign in the face of it. And I think we're seeing a lot of ways in churches and ministry leaders increase, even in friends I know, this um, sort of weeds in the wheat kind of thing, the circumstances forcing people to either double down and figure it out when we don't know what we're doing or say, ah, well, I can't do anything. I'll wait till it comes back around and we can meet again. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's very interesting circumstance. Holy Spirit's moving. I don't know all that he's doing, but uh, I'm trying to hold on for the ride. Yep. Hold on. Put on your seatbelt because it's uh, so far just in like the month or two months. I don't even know how long it's been. It's been wild. It has been wild. I feel like yeah. there's so much online where people are posting. They're like, take this time. Take a break. Relax. Like millennials go to the beach. You're fine. But I'm like, I am like everything on my plate has just doubled and I'm doing a million live streams every single week. And it's just like, it's just so busy. It's just so busy. There's no, no break. Have you felt that? For sure. I think that, well, I mean, uh, work wise. Yeah, definitely. Again, cause you know, we, 
Um, we, we keep a pretty busy load as it is year round, uh, especially in my department, because some aspects of life team will is sort of uh, cyclical by nature. Right. So right. Our, our support resources go out every three months. Obviously, we're developing those um, constantly. But then like camps like really blooms up towards summer and there's a lot of stuff going. And then uh, in the winter, we focus more on maybe some fundraising initiatives and things like that. But my department, or I should say our department, it's not mine other than that I'm culpable for it, right? Right. Um, But like our team is basically riding with every department when it's their peak season. Do you know what I mean? So our department is pretty pretty, uh, impacted always, pretty big workload. Uh, But now with this shift, it's like uh, really trying to discern what have we been doing that needs to keep being done. So how do we, we continue to offer what needs to go forward and what has basically an outlet in a Paris setting now or not. Right. Cause right. You know, Paris just have changed the dynamic for right now. So what do we, con- what do we continue with? And then at the same time, what are we uh, adapting to or adding in order to pivot and speak hopefully in a timely way directly to this circumstance, to teens lives and how do we set up parishes and youth ministers to, to meet them there in that moment. So it's definitely a, uh, a lot of response and reactive uh, planning the best we can right now. I think the um, best way I can describe is you ever been running downhill and you start to fall? Yeah. And uh, you're just like, I just have to run faster so I don't fall. You just, just try going. to run faster than you're falling. <laughs> yep. That's, that's kind of so, some days it feels like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> I like that. I like that. That's a fun analogy. Oh, man. Cool, dude. Well, so for the show, everybody, I'm going to try to add this onto the here we go. Um, we're going to take some calls in a little bit. I want people to be able to call in and ask their questions for David and anything that they want to ask here on the show. The number to call into the show in a little bit is going to be 315-679-3788. 315-679-3788. And it's going to be awesome. David, if you have some friends you want to text that number out to and be like, hey, call into the show. It'll be a great time. Go for it. Um, but first, I want to kind of zoom out and let's just see, like, David Calvita. How have you gotten to the place where you are right now? Like summarize it for us. I know we don't have a ton of time, but like give us like five, 10 minutes of who is David Calvia? How'd you get to this place where, you know, you're a passionate person who's, you know, preaching the gospel, living their Catholic faith and working for evangelization. How'd you get here? For sure. Um, Well, I, I think, I mean, my journey starts as a teen. I, uh, I'm super grateful. I went to a, an evangelical high school in my area. We didn't have any, uh, the only private school options were, was, um, a first assemblies of God kind of stream of, of, of evangelical or Protestantism, however you want to put it. Yeah. And, um, at that point, the one high school in my area was super overcrowded and like gangs. Like I kind of grew up in like a rough area of like the desert in California. And, um, so my parents, they're all, they were both school teachers and they're like, we're not sending you to this high school. We're going to send you this, uh, this private school. And it was there that like, as a freshman, I, I really started to have that, that conversion, that sort of awakening. I'm super grateful for just, um, the, the zeal that the Protestants had, uh, at that school and in my life. Um, it really questions a lot of things as to what they thought Catholicism was, you know, like as I'm having this conversion there, I'm, I'm falling in love with Jesus. And then my, my youth pastor at that high school, the evangelical school would found out as Catholic. And he's like, Oh man, like that, that sucks, dude. And I was like, Oh, it does. Like why? And he's like, you're going to hell. <laughs> and I'm like, I am, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> well, he's like, well, yeah, you know, blah, blah. And he started. And I, so then his questions and, and I don't slight him at all. Obviously he was misinformed, but he loved me 
and he was very concerned for me. And that was to his knowledge, the reality of it. And this is like mid nineties. And so Catholicism and Christianity or, or evangelical Protestantism in the mid nineties in California was, was sort of this, um, uh, you know, like Hatfield and McCoy's kind of thing. Like it was okay. one didn't call the other, the uh, Christianity, that kind of thing. And so uh, he, he cared for me and, and it just started making me ask a lot of questions about my faith. And in that time, our local Catholic church had an amazing life team youth group. And uh, so I just started going, hoping I'd have questions answered. I didn't go like, cause I wanted to be like Johnny youth group. <laughs> I went because I had a bone to pick with Catholicism, you know, and if, if I was going to hell because I was Catholic and then my mom, who is Catholic, was supposedly going to hell, but she's the most you know devout person I've ever encountered, I need to reconcile this. And man, like clockwork, God used that life team, par- that parish life team program just to, to answer every question I had yeah. and ultimately to lead me an amazing encounter with the Eucharist through adoration. And, uh, and I would say that's what set that trajectory. And then I just always wanted to, because that youth ministry had such an impact in my life, soon as I could, I served as a core member when I graduated high school. And then I served a little bit with net ministries, came back and continued serving at the parish. And ultimately I was offered a sort of like this part-time position and then a full-time position. And then it just kind of grew from there. And, uh, I just, I had a, I was drawn to it. Do you know what I mean? I, um, I never really set out to make it a, a career, so to speak. I didn't know you could get paid doing youth ministry. Um, I, my, my youth minister legitimately won the California lottery. And so he was a multi, a multimillionaire, but he donated for 15 years of his life, his heart to that program. Wow. He, he spent more, you know, 60 hours a week on, on the teens that were there just being present, funding it, being at games, being in this, this relational ministry. And, uh, and so I was like, I'm going to go be a school teacher so I can do ministry on the weekends. Mm. Um, and then ultimately as I started to get this, this kind of part-time payment and then eventually was able to move into a full-time position, I was just like, man, like, this is weird. Like, is this something I, I could actually just do as part of like how I provide for my family? Yeah. And, uh, and you know, I ended up being in parish ministry for about 14 years, uh, when all is said and done from, from like a paid position. And, um, I was super grateful. I, I love it. And, uh, that's actually what got me into design was I was, I had a heart for, the parish ministry. And I realized, um, out here in Orange County, especially like the parish I was at most recently, I was there for eight years and, and it was in a wealthy area. Yeah. And, and we were, um, maybe 20, 30 minutes away from some of the world's greatest entertainment. You have amazing beaches in California. You got Disneyland 20 minutes, one direction. You have like huge, huge outdoor shopping complexes and amphitheaters and LA is just like an hour away. San Diego's an hour away. Yeah. Like, there was a lot to do and these kids had a lot of money, which meant that they could go and do it. And so I realized very quickly, like I had to fight to even get their attention to consider coming to a youth night at my parish. Right. And, and for me, that, that kind of uh, triggered this idea of just finding out what is culturally relevant to a teenager's life. And so yeah. I started trying to make a lot of my marketing materials for the parish, for my youth ministry, for our XLT adoration of, uh, events and stuff, just to be as, as youth, centric as possible to sort of, um, in a way that was the first language I could speak with them was aesthetics. And if I could start communicating there, maybe they'd give me a chance to hear my invitation out after mass or whatever, and then come to an event and then hopefully encounter Jesus at that event. So started designing and that just kind of spring rolled into, you know, just, um, other freelance positions for other churches, like designing here and there. And then, uh, I did some freelance for life team and, and Mark had offered me a job 
and I turned it down because um, I never set out. I didn't want to be a designer. Like I was in design because of my parish. Yeah. And um, so I stayed at the parish for two more years and then it became kind of clear on my heart and my wife's heart that uh, we, we probably should look into it. And it was an open door with Mark. And so I, we talked again and ended up taking a job with Life Teen and moved wow. out to Atlanta for about a year and then moved back to California and um, been working in our satellite office out here yeah. ever since. So um, I never thought I'd be here, never planned to be here, but, uh, but God, um, man, he's just, he's so generous with his providence and he takes, he takes us places we have no business going other than the fact that he called us there. Do you know what I'm saying? For sure. Yeah. Dude, I love that, man. I think it, it's cool. Um, especially like just to see like your leadership in pushing the boundaries of like what it means to be, a person who works in the church, uh, because I think a lot of people, especially young people, if they're if they're passionate about, they go to their youth program or whatever, and they're like, I, I think I want to do that. I want to give back in that way. I feel like mm-hmm. people really struggle to figure out, like, how do I do this full time? How do I make a living in this? Um, can you speak to that a little bit? Like, where did your mind go to figure out, like, this is how I'm going to make this a full time thing? Because it's not something that, you know, you're not making millions doing ministry we're never this is not about the money at all um but like how do you how do you make ends meet because we're called you know mentor mine when i first got started deacon nick alvaro he told me yo nick you're called to serve you're not called to starve and it's something that's really kind of helped me and informed me and like moving into just talking with pastors as i get hired like make this livable how how have you pushed the that (laughs) For sure. I, I, I'll i say a few maybe uh, sort of tangent-esque thoughts to that, and I don't know if they're really coherent or linear, but uh, one of the things with my youth minister, like I said, he won the lottery. Yeah. And so he, for 15 years, like donated his life and funded the whole thing. And then when he was getting ready to kind of set up for retirement, that's when he wanted to bring me me in as like a part-time position to, for like a year or two to help with uh, kind of learn some of the back-end rope of it and then transition out and take over. And so he went to my pastor and he's like, Hey, like I want to hire David part-time. Um, so, so, you know, can, can we get that going? And my pastor looked at me and he's like, well, why, why are we going to hire, hire David? And, and my youth minister was like, well, we like, I, I'm going to be retiring soon. I can't do this forever. And I want to make sure we have a, we have a transition in place. So it keeps going. And so we need to hire David for this transition and then ultimately, you know, move him into a full-time position. And my pastor looked at him and he said, why would we pay for something that we've been getting free for all these years? Wow. And like that, right, that broke my youth minister's heart. And he looked at him, he's like, this has not been free. Like this, I've been in a position where I've been able to donate my life and it's cost me 60 hours a week to be here. It's cost me funding. It's, you know, and, and there was this sort of a moment of realization of with the church, often we can, uh, um, enable the church to continue to maybe find the path of least resistance, or we can strive to empower the church to find the path of investment. And I think those two different things we see a lot, especially in youth ministry, because unfortunately it kind of ends up on the chopping block or the option. Uh, Do we need it? Do we not need it? Can we just put a video in and call it good? You know, that kind of thing. And, and so um, I think it's always been near to my heart that that sort of reality, but all, all that being said, I, um, I, I never, and, and, and I, I don't know if this is contrary, uh, if this information would be contrary to, to maybe listeners' hearts or anything. So, so take it with a grain of salt, whoever hears this. But I always hesitate in viewing 
youth ministry as as a career in the sense of typically our our sort of um understanding of a career is here's my entry point and then i have these stepping stones or these rungs on the ladder that i climb to get right. to the next level and next level and then i'm going to be this and i think that's dangerous in youth ministry or any ministry really because it 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 it, it equates people's souls to stepping stones yeah yeah and, and i think that's a dangerous thing and, and so sometimes like you know people ask well like well like how do i, I how, i'm i'm a i don't know a middle school minister at a parish how do i get to be speaking at this conference yeah and i'm like don't don't i think the best way is not worry about speaking at that conference yeah. focus on what's right in front of you and and i had that conviction early on in my life and obviously like you know i grew up in and like mark hart was like when I first saw Mark Hart when I was a teenager, I was like, man, this guy is like Jesus and Dane Cook put together. And like, I love it. And it was so inspiring. I was like, man, like, how could I grow up and take his job? You know, because you have that gut reaction, which I think is comes from a good place. Right. But early on, like Jesus really convinced me. He's like, like, like when I when there's a point in my, in my um, time in ministry at a parish where I sh- uh, uh, changed parishes. And I went from a youth ministry group that was maybe like, 80 or 90 strong on a Saturday night, which wow. was crazy for me into a parish that was struggling to get maybe eight to 10 people on a Sunday evening. And I was just sitting there and I was so discouraged and it made me, God really kind of asked like, what is success to you, David? Like, is it more numbers or is it the stepping something? And he's like, right. dude, you've got 10 people whom I love so much. You need to make sure those 10 people get it. And they just, by God's grace, not by my own like willpower or anything, but by God's grace, I was just convicted. Like, I, I got to stop looking ahead, and I need to look in front. If that makes sense, right. like, like I'm not looking for this. What's the next layer of success or whatever, or even the next layer of financial, you know, the bump or whatever you right. want to say for that. Obviously, that's a real thing. We need that to survive. But like God just convicted me. Like, focus on the team in front of you. And and honestly, and I say this, this isn't meant to sound. If it it's not humility, I'll tell you that right now. I know myself, I don't have it. Okay. This is not humility. This is just God's grace. I focused on the the five to ten kids that were in front of me the best I could. And I and I gave them everything I could. Right. And then that grew to like 15 kids. And then I tried to do the same for 15. And then it was eventually 50. And then 70. And then it was 150. And I'm just trying to to give whatever's in front of me the best I could. Yeah. And then God, like with that, like God just started opening up doors. Do you know what I mean? Like a parish, Hey, can you come and, yeah. you know, you had that XT and like, I brought my teens and can you come and share that here? Well, sure. And I'll come and try to share it there. And, and he just kind of opened the doors in that way. And, and, um, one of the things I, I will say, and forgive me if this isn't fully answering your question directly, but, um, I think the idea of like professional and, and, and youth ministry and speaking or platforms, all stuff is all kind of this weird mess sometimes. Yeah. Um, I went and saw, uh, Justin Fatika. Do you know Justin Fatika? I, I work with Hard Justin. He's, he's a right? good mentor of mine. I love Justin. Okay. So like I had seen him, you know, on like the HBO documentary or whatever it was. And yeah. I'm like, this guy's nuts. You yeah, know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Like, like a family of wrestlers and bodybuilders. And so like anyone from Stallone to Schwarzenegger was a common name in my house. And then I'm like, this guy's kind of like that. And, like he's just like got a vein sticking out and he's doing handstand pushups and stuff. Right. And here's the thing though. I went and saw him at my friend, my friend was a campus minister. I went and saw him at a local high school and it was like 3000 teens from that school in this auditorium. And man, Justin was on fire and he's going, and, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. and I was like, man, this guy is amazing. Then that like, next day, 
he was speaking again at a parish about 45 minutes away. And I was like, sweet, I'm going to grab some of my leadership teams and we're going to go. And so sorted out when we go up there, that parish had failed to advertise the event like entirely. And so I get there and it's like a hall that sits maybe, I don't know, six to 800 people. Yeah. And I kid you not, there's 20, pe- 20 people there. And I sat down and by that time I was doing a little bit of like kind of speaking or sharing at local parishes around. And, and I was like, oh man, this is going to suck for him. Cause like, there's no interaction. There's no audience and blah, yeah. blah, blah. And what a letdown. And I'm thinking this, he came out and, and, and Nick, he was the exact same person yeah. in front of 3000 people as he was in front of 20 people. And I walked away thinking, my God, what, what integrity, what authenticity. And the reality is who he was in front of those people had nothing to do with the number of people, yeah. but who Jesus called him to be to the one person he was looking right. at when he was saying that. And I was so like convicted by that yeah. and so inspired by that. And I felt like God just helped me to, to serve in some sense of authenticity in that capacity. Right. And um, again, not that I've been perfect at it, but like trying to focus on what's in front of me and, and let God do the rest. And, and I will say um, like two things a little bit further from this idea of, of finance or making a living in ministry. Yeah. I knowing that I couldn't make a living in ministry or what I thought, right. Cause my youth minister won the lottery. I was in my mind was like, well, ministry is just going to be a part of my life. I'll figure it out. Right. And maybe that was like naive, but I think in that ignorance was bliss. It gave me a little bit of like, maybe just the right amount of stupidity I needed to jump into it, you know, without calculating all the costs. Yep. Um, and, and then in the, along that line though, my, my prayer, and I've tried to make this a prayer for the bulk of my, I would say my adult life that I can remember is I've always tried to pray like, God, may my life be marked by providence. And in other words, like what that means to me is, is God, may my life not make sense apart from your intervention. Right. So, so the way like I pay my bills or, or the way like my family comes to be or the, the, whoever I'm in speaking to or whatever position I have, may it not make sense other than someone goes, God has to be involved here because this guy, he can't even like pull, pull, tie up his shoes. Like, like there's no way he got himself here. Yeah. And, and I think in that way, like God has been the one to open doors, but also to open, open wallets and, and just meet us, you know, in whatever we need. And he's such a, a, a providential God. Yeah. And uh, I think often my fear is what limits his providence because I don't make room for it in my life. Right. You know, and so um, it's I, I, that kind of outlook is just kind of, I think, helped to, I won't say skate along in life because that's not what I mean. Again, that sounds very stupid and ignorant, um, but just try to trust God. And I'll be super honest, that gets, when I was single, really easy, <laughs> right? When I got married, still pretty easy. We had 10 years of infertility. That 10 years was still pretty okay. And, but then obviously like rent and stuff out in California is, is going through the roof. And then when we had a kid come on, uh, super grateful. But now I'm just thinking a lot differently. And I find yeah. my fears weighing heavier now because it's not just, well, I can eat ramen for six days and be okay with it. You know what I mean? Now it's like, okay, I've got to be able to provide for my family and, and figure out like housing Feed and this kid you know, and- a little more sustainability. Yeah. Right. And so uh, honestly, I'm, I'm super grateful for, again, God's providence in that life team came into my life, um, in, in, in a place that I, I was not qualified to do it, but somehow God opened that door and life team's been super, super, um, I would say pro person in terms of their employees and trying to, to take care of us, uh, in the midst of, of what ministry is, you know? So, um, yeah, I don't know if that answers it. No, I don't I know if it, you need more detail or something, but that's kind of just been, I think my journey with it all, you know? So if you feel called to ministry, 
I think you follow the call that God's put on your heart and trust him to piece it all together. Right. And that doesn't mean to be stupid about it. And it doesn't mean to, to get walked on either. Again, enabling the church to take advantage of people is a real thing, but trying to empower a church to invest into ministry or into ministers, that's an important thing as well. And, and I equated to not that this is, um, (laughs) not that this is a, a, a very good analogy. So go with me, but, uh, like, why does a professional baseball player get paid to play baseball? That's so he can have all the time in the world to focus on playing baseball and become a better baseball player. Right. I'm not saying, you know, we're the big leagues, professional ministers or anything like that, but yeah. I'm saying like there is an equivalent to that. Like I've been in ministry in different settings where at one point I've worked for simultaneously two different churches and a coffee shop while doing freelance design. Like that's for, you know what I mean? And I lived at home at the time. So it was like, you know what I mean? Like that amount of stretch is going to affect everything. Yeah. It is. And especially as families come in involved, like there is something to, to, to be able to, for a parish or even a pastor to have a vision of, I want to create the best environment I can for a youth minister to be able to be laser focused on my teens here at this parish yep. and what it's going to take to meet these families and journey with them and be present with them. So I, in a sense, I'm going to, and again, this may rub people the wrong way, but I, I'm going to purchase their time. So they are free to have peace at home yep. and then have that freedom to invest in. And, and that's one thing um, uh, Mark has always talked to me about. He's like, the, the better husband you can be, the better minister you will be. The, the better like, like father you can be, the better minister yep. or designer you will be. And, and so like trying to rightly order that vocation and invest into that, because from that, that healthy, holistic space, then you have the freedom and maybe the, even the the free the, the the desire and the drive to say, "Cool, I'm all in in this box," rather than I'm partially in in fourteen boxes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. No, for sure. We're gonna get into some calls here in a moment. Three one five six seven nine three seven eight eight. But first, David, you know, I want to talk about your design work and and how you've really brought beauty into into the church. I mean, really, you're really leading there and pushing beauty into the church, especially with what you're doing with Life Teen. Um, but I also want to talk a little bit about, uh, the parish you attend Solano Catholic Mm. is doing uh, incredible stuff. Um, and I've just been blown away with the the leadership of father Dewey, your pastor there. Um, I mean, I want to belong at Solano. You guys, the tagline (laughs) belong at Solano. Like it's something that I've always just wanted. Like me and my wife are watching masses live stream there after we watch our live stream here, we go and we just, because we just love it. I mean, it's just beautifully done. Um, Can you talk about like that, like just bringing beauty into the church through design and and your passion for that, whether it be through what you're doing at life teen and also what's going on at Solano. For sure. Yeah. I think um, in general, the idea of beauty in the church, obviously this is an understatement, but like, was, but beauty is, is is infinitely important, not just to the church, but to humanity, right? Like like beauty moves the heart, and 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 whether that is through m- movies or music or design or or the aesthetics of an environment or something like that, like like beauty moves us. And um, one of the examples I like to share with this is like now now you're married, right? How long have you been married? Uh, about almost three years. Okay, cool. Almost three years. So so in, in that time with with your wife. Um, I'm sure you've gotten dates here and there, and, and and I'm sure there's probably a spectrum of where you go on those dates. But but with my wife and I, like we there's this one particular French restaurant in Orange County called the Cellar that we go to, and it's uh 
you go in and you got to go down this like kind of like stairwell to go in and it's sort of like dimly lit and and the right side of it it's like kind of a speakeasy small bar vibe you go to the left and it's like this sort of it feels like like a like a wine cellar and and the walls are wine barrels and then there's like like carved rock and everything and the tables sort of are in these little nooks and it's very dimly lit candle lit and stuff and and actually one of the um one of the uh, the designers that helped to uh design pirates of the caribbean at disneyland the aesthetics there would created the environment for this restaurant so you can imagine it's like layered right and yeah. we've noticed that when we go to that restaurant or a similar restaurant we have far deeper conversations than we do when we go i don't know to like in and out now don't get me wrong i love in and out and if you don't know what in and out is i'm gonna pray for your salvation people you need to get <laughs> on it all right but the reality what we've identified is that environment which really is an experience of beauty. And it's not to say that In-N-Out is ugly. It's, it's a different maybe take on it. But, but, but the, the art in those environments changes what's moving in, deep in our hearts and reflects in the conversation we have over those meals. And they, they both can be equally as important. But, but, but one maybe lends to like very practical things and the other maybe lends to dreaming and, and what could we be in 20 years from now, you know, that kind of thing. And, yeah. and so I think as human beings, beauty moves us and it's, it's no surprise. And so it's been more and more important, I think, as I grow in my own life and my different involvements in ministry and parishes and stuff to, to recognize outlets of beauty. When I first started in my mind, it was just like, cool, I'm going to design a flyer and it's going to be some semblance of beauty for a teenager's culture. Right. Uh, and, and, and it kind of was this bridge of communication, like I mentioned earlier. But I think as I grow, like, man, beauty is everywhere in terms of like the environments, the aesthetics, the language you choose to use about it. Yeah. And that kind of ties into stuff going on here at Solano, um, at San Francisco Solano Church. <laughs> Wait, real quick. So it's San Francisco Solano Catholic Church in Rancho Santa Margarita. Yeah, yeah. That is like the, the – Everyone like, gets so the confused. Mouthful they're, they're like, is it yeah. in San Francisco? No. <laughs> yeah. It, it is just a mouthful. So we've kind of um, – from like a branding perspective and really I would say a, a ease of conversation among the community, we've sort of just adopted the moniker Solano Catholic. And, and the idea is – here, Father Dewey is a young pastor, and we've worked a lot with him in various young adult ministries going on throughout the diocese. My, by we, I mean myself, uh, Patrick Golpo, and a lot of other amazing uh, um, ministers in various ways, music, um, youth ministers, young adult ministers. Yeah. Um, and, and he basically, when he became pastor here at Solano, it's a pretty big campus, and they had a whole second floor up here, and he was like, it's storage right now. And he's like, I want my church to understand that investing into creativity is important. So will he threw out the invitation to life team? Cause at that point I was working out of my bedroom when I was working remotely here in California. Uh, he's like, Hey, will you come and take the second floor of our office in the first third, turn it into life teams workspace for you and Patrick and Leah, and then um, help set the tone for other people to come in for my staff to understand the need for creativity. And, and so we've been working with them. And with that, like he now has a, um, a communications coordinator on staff named Shay. She's phenomenally talented in so many areas, singing and photography, but also just this gift of organizing and seeing the need to bring the chaos that is a parish under this sort of communicative direction and say, no, this is how we're going to talk about ourselves collectively. Yeah. And so uh, myself and Patrick, we're just parishioners here, but we serve Father in whatever capacity he, he'd ask from us. And so we kind of serve on this um, this communications team yeah. with uh, with Shay and with some other musicians and with Father Dewey. 
just to kind of figure out how do we um how do we acknowledge that the church is a brand whether we like that term brand or not the church is a brand and and really what a brand means from a like a an industry perspective is is the people's perception of who you are i want to say it again a brand is a people's perception of who you are a brand is not who you say you are it's not a logo it's not yeah exactly it's not your mission statement it's how you actually live among the community. And so it's one thing for us as I think as churches to be like, oh, we're the spirit filled community of blah, 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 blah. But then like they, the world doesn't experience a spirit filled Catholic. Right. It's like, so our brand then is what they experience of us. And so trying to be more intentional about Solano as a brand and, and really boiling it down to uh, what we ended up kind of creating this whole sort of marketing campaign around the sort of identity of Solano was this um, belong, believe, become. And in Father Dewey's vision, which side note, having a pastor who has a vision for a parish doesn't mean they have to do everything or even know how to accomplish everything. But he he sits and he prays and he journals and he has a he has a cohesive vision for for what this community should look like, how our hearts should beat in reflection of Jesus to the world. Right, dude. I so I, I talked with him. I talked with him at CYMC, and I said, like, how did you, how did you? like guide this to where it is right now. He said, I sat down when I first got at the parish and I prayed in front of the blessed sacrament. And I said, the next St. Paul is going to come from my parish. I'm going to create this space and the environment for it. The next Matt Marr is going to come from my parish. I'm going to create the space for it. We're going to do whatever it needs to do to, to make these things happen. I'm just like, that's beautiful. And that's what he's been doing. And I think by having that vision, he's then his next step is how do I bring people together to do well, I maybe can't, right? Because like it's right. not his 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 job or maybe his expertise to to be doing the design work, right? But he can bring people in, and he can have the vision that that collects it together. And so the whole idea of belong, believe, become, uh, as really stemmed from Father Dewey's heart. He wants everyone, Catholic or not, to know that they belong at Solano. Why? Because God has a heart for the world. Period. So whether you're you're a horrible sinner or, or or some great saint, whether you're you're addicted or not, whether you're homeless or not, whether you are an atheist and you're upset at God or not, yeah. you belong here, and and the door is welcome. Come and come and be here. And then with that sense of belonging, then hopefully through through that belonging, they can encounter Jesus and that belief, or they would start to to, to grow in them as they encounter the community, the love of Christ through the people and through the sacraments, yeah. the love of Christ through the, I would say the quality representation of the gospel through preaching, through music, through hospitality, through genuine community and prayer and friendship with each other. Yeah. And he fights for those. And then through that believing that then we would become part of the agent that would help others to belong, believe, and then become. So we would basically not only where we belong to the church and through our relationship through the church, we have this union with Jesus, and then we become his church. We become him to the world. We go out and keep bringing family back in. And he has that vision, and obviously it's, it takes time to articulate that. And I would say we're in the early phases, but those early phases have caused a lot of changes. And, and he's had a lot of courage to make that change, which I, I commend him 100% because I know for a pastor from my own experience at other parishes – it's not easy to be a pastor yeah. because everyone's complaining about everything, whether you, you, you could breathe and they're like, oh, you breathe too hard on the microphone, father. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's like, how do you make big changes moving music ministry and saying what we've had for 20 years isn't actually effective nor relevant to this culture and this city we live in. So we're going to remove the old regime and, and try to do it prayerfully and, and, 
and with respect to the people the best we can, but also recognize that ministry doesn't exist for the minister. Ministry exists for those we are ministering to. And if we're not doing something that is relevantly able for uh, relevant in a way that they can connect to it or receive that communication, then again, our brand is only people's perception of us. Yeah. So we can say all we want about who we are, but unless we actually take actions to where people can receive that message, yep. that's not our brand. And so Father Dewey's been inspirational here. I'm, I feel blessed we moved into the area just to be parishioners at this church because I wanted a place where my kid could grow up and love going to church. And he's only three. And he misses it right now because they have Solano kids, which is this little program yeah. during math. And like, he loves it. My, my son is, is by no means a tame child. I don't want him to be, but he's not, we call him Judah, Judah, the lion. And he, <laughs> he is, he's a wild man, but yet this church <laughs> has figured out how to captivate a little three-year-old boy who is pretty much, you know, un- uncontainable and, and, and create an environment where he's allowed to be who he is. Yeah. And he loves coming. And that to me as a parent, I would invest all I could to make that happen for my kid. That's freaking awesome, man. I love Sorry, that. that was a long rant, man. No, I, I love it. I love it, man. That's I've been wanting to talk about this literally all week. I'm looking forward because I'm like, I want to talk about this. Because so, like, it's just inspired me and my wife so much. Um, so you're going to have to tell them, like, t- tell everybody there on staff, you know, we're singing their praises up here in Vancouver, Washington, and all the places we're connected. We're telling everybody to check it out because I think really, like, if it ha- if it's not already, which I think it is, but it needs to be, like people need to start looking at what's going on there at Solano Catholic. You know, it's like beautiful, beautiful ministry model. Um, it just really evangelization model. I mean, just what you're doing to to reach out to the culture and the community, bring people, not only the ones who are probably already there, like getting them inspired to do more to spread the gospel, but to bring in new people to just what you said, like belong, believe, become. Like that's amazing and it needs to be a model um it's it's just really really inspired my wife and i and the friends you know that kind of hang in our circles it's just been it's really cool what you what you guys are doing have you ever seen the movie the mission no i haven't someone actually brought that up recently too i need to check it out yeah dude so there's this scene in the mission that kind of reminds me of everything you're talking about about like bridging the culture and kind of like the first avenue to bring people in there's a scene where the main character he's trying to to evangelize uh, this indigenous culture and he goes into them and he says, they're not going to listen to me. If I just talk to them, if I preach to them, um, if I, if I share like a, a crucifix with them or whatever, they're not going to believe or, or, t- or talk to me or have a relationship with me. Yeah. But he knew <clears throat> that they loved music, particularly this flute music. And he knew how to play this flute and he taught himself how to play. So he goes up, climbs this mountain, goes to where they are, walks into their space. And literally you see them in the scene, just crowd around him with all of their weapons mm-hmm. like they're gonna kill him and he just pulls out of this flute and he sits down in like this weak stance like i am ready mm-hmm. to die from all of these people around me and he just starts playing right. this beautiful music from this fl- flute and you just see like everyone starts to kind of relax a little bit they're like <clears> what's <throat> going on and then this one young person from the community comes out and comes over to him and grabs the flute and it's like what is this what is this magic tool that you are using that creates this amazing music? I want to know. And then this older person comes out and he's like yelling at the young kid, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? He's like throws the flute back down, breaks it. And then the guy just says, I can fix it. Here you go. And, and then the community kind of welcomes him because one at a time, people start to step forward, taking the courage like this young person did and said, I, I want 
what he has in this music. And I think it's exactly right. like right. what you are doing uh, at Solana. What I think what you're talking about about creating these avenues to connect with people. That's not like, hey, I just told you the best talk in the world that made you believe in the Holy Spirit. That could maybe work for some people, but like for a lot of people, it's looking at the culture and saying, how can we connect with you with whatever you find as beautiful? I mean, it's like, it's a huge and powerful tool. You got to check that movie out, man. I love it, man. All right. I will for sure. The analogy sounds awesome. It's so, it's so cool. So we're going to take some calls right now. Here's the number I'm putting on the screen. It's 315-679-3788. You can ask your questions for David and I, um, anything you want to know. And it's going to be a fun time. We'll, we'll get him on here. It'll be cool. Let's see. Who, who are we going to get first? I wonder who's going to call us in first. We've got a few people on here on the live stream. Da-na-na-na. David, have you ever done a yep. call-in show before? No, I haven't. Dude, no. You don't know what you're about to get into because it's it's going to be a fun time. Uh, <laughs> it's it's going to be a fun time. There's it's like no holds bar, right? Just kind of anything goes. We'll just see what happens with these people here. We're going to get somebody here that I know is going to call, who's been wanting to call into the show. Let's let's get him here. Here we go. Wait for it. Da-na-na. Oh wait, that's the wrong. Here we go. Should be able to hear it. Oh. Hello? What's going on? Josh, how you doing? You're on the show. I am great. What's going on? How are you guys? We're doing great. We're doing great. We're, we're having some good conversation here, chatting about uh, all the work that David Calvita is doing. You're, you're live with David. I mean, you know, because you're maybe watching. Um, what, what's your question for us, man? How can we help you? Uh, no, well, it's, it's good to hear you guys. Uh, David, thanks for uh, hopping out with Nick. What a guy he is, huh? <laughs> Um, for sure. Thanks, man. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess my question would be, where do you see kind of your work changing and evolving because of COVID-19? And how do you see kind of like, you know, the, the work for life scene? Obviously, you guys with, you know, Global Life Night and pumping out content for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like, where do you see things kind of moving when, you know, we start to come out of these periods of social distancing will it change what obviously you guys have talked about you know the broken clock works twice but like you know mm. yeah. where, where do you see kind of you know what you're doing changing uh going on uh from here um you moving forward yeah i think um thanks josh uh, maybe i can i could answer that uh two, two from two perspectives i would say like if you're asking in terms of like life team uh if, like if, if I could answer on behalf of Life Team, I think um, Life Team's goal has always been to come alongside a parish. And, and that really is um, is at the heart of what we do and what we offer. And ultimately, like every resource we would create, um, subscription resources for high school or, or middle school or conference, like all that stuff is is meant to, to come alongside a parish because we believe the greatest asset at a parish for youth ministry is the youth minister is the core team or the adults there. And, and so we've never really aimed to create a resource that would, that would, um, that would replace that person who is at the parish. And I think that's the challenging thing right now is obviously parishes aren't existing quite in that capacity. And, um, and so we stepped in, 
in, in sort of this response to the COVID-19 is doing these kind of global life nights and stuff because we knew we had the platform and the capability and sort of the network to do that. But it was very key that if we're going to do that, we need to create a way for the parish leader to be connected into their team's experience. So it's not just, hey, team, come to Life Teens Youth Night, yeah. but rather, hey, we're going to start at Life Teens Youth Night, and then we're going to break into our own small group discussion. And so we we give all the leaders uh, uh, facilitator guides and things like that so they can take what we're sort of um, starting and then finish, continue it in that more personal, uh, relational aspect. And so I think going back into whenever this thing ends, I, I think there, the change will be maybe um, a need for agility that this circumstance has taught us that we, we can't just like cement our ways into stone, but rather we've got to, we've got to have a plan and a vision, but be set up in such a way that we can pivot when circumstances call us to. But that being said, I don't, uh, my fear is that there'll be the sense of we're being forced into all digital and my fear is that there'll there'll be a, a sense of um, remaining mostly digital, and and foregoing that personal human to human ministry component. And not that it can't be personal to a degree in a digital space, but like the one thing about Catholicism is that it's it's sacramental, right? It's it's a uh, it's it's very tangible, and and I think by virtue of that the core of our faith, the relationships we have with people in faith, are yeah. sacramental esque in that nature. And so um, I don't know that a lot of things will should change necessarily. I don't think the church needs to rewrite how we do stuff. We need to um, consider how, like our, our, our platform, our, our channels of communication. But ultimately, I think in order to lead to a person an, in, an in-person experience with the mass, with the Eucharist, with community, uh, personally, I, I don't know. I, I haven't really thought a lot beyond that about the changes coming. But I will tell you my fear or even my frustration in the in the midst of this, and that is that it's so – because we've been forced into a digital landscape primarily, it's so easy to simply reduce the church down to content. Yeah. And I think content right now is, is a commodity. And whether we're making money off it or making followers off it or making our egos off of it, 100%. content is, 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 um, if content remains content, it's, I think it's dangerous. It's useless. And I would say it's the antithesis of the gospel. Yeah. And so I think as people in ministry, as ministers, whether it's in a parish or in a personal level, any content that we're hoping to create has to be done, I think, and discerned in a way that content is not the end game, but rather connection is the end game. So it's not just, I'm going to turn around another video or another podcast or another graphic. So I get more likes and get more shares and I beat the algorithm and then I've got more followers and then maybe I can make some money or whatever it may be. That's just maybe sounds harsh, but like it's so easy when when, right now, like society is a content consuming machine. Right. And I I had this thought the other day and it was, it was like, like content is the new drug. And we're all addicts and dealers because we're addicted to content. We chew through people's content without actually engaging the essence of the person or what the content is pointing to beyond the content. We just flip through it in a sense, right? And at the same time, 
we equate that's what a dynamic relationship is. And so we then just figure out, well, what is the content I produce? And that content doesn't have to be a big media thing. It could simply be, well, I need to say this thing on Facebook so that way I get the likes or the applause or I feel um, sort of uh, that my identity is pushed forward or I'm painting this picture of who I think I am politically or whatever it may be. Yeah. And I think content is, is not bad in itself. But if we let it stop in itself, it's super dangerous. And I think that is a great temptation in our church right now because we are forced into a, a content only really um, interaction. Yeah. And uh, it's very easy to objectify, I think, the mission of the church or the gospel if we just reduce it to content and let people consume it. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't know. I don't know if, it's a, if that's a clear, coherent thought, but um, – it's kind of what's been wrestling with me, I think, internally, and I'm just kind of struggling with because, um, to be honest, when we all get forced digitally, it seems that like all of a sudden everyone is like a, a life coach and, you know, everyone it has X, Y, or Z coming out. And like, and that's not to put it down because I think St. Paul, if he was alive right now, he would be hustling to get the gospel out. But like, I think my wife and I were kind of wrestling with this because she's a writer and she, she writes a, a lot and was kind of wrestling with the difference between like maybe like, like, like sharing and selling. Yeah. And I think when it comes to ministry in the church and content, there's something about that idea. What's the difference between sharing for the sake of a greater community, a greater contact, or even a greater conversion, right? It has to move beyond the content to get to the contemplation, right? right? Um, it's not that, like when Jesus told the parables throughout scripture, his goal wasn't just to tell them a cool story and the people are like, yeah, I love that story. That's a great one. His goal is to tell the story in order to move something in them to this point of conversion. And I think when we are a content-driven culture, it's so easy to think that content is king. And then we stop there, even in ministry, yeah, because it looks good. Yeah, It looks busy. It looks active. It gets followers. It gets likes. You yeah. know, um, Are you familiar with the, the musician John Bellion? No, I'm not. Okay. So uh, John Bellion uh, – uh, he he's one of my favorites. He uh, basically yeah, he's just a phenomenal musician, and he's written and produced a lot of music for a lot of like popular, uh, just pop culture artists. And, and he started uh, letting his own music out a couple of years ago. Really good stuff. Um, but uh, I encourage you to check him out. I will tell you right now, the dude has a heart for Jesus, and he cusses. <laughs> and there's something raw about that because he's literally ministering. Whether, whether, whether the church or people in ministry would officially look and say, well, that's not ministry. He didn't have a small group or he said the F word and whatever. There's something to that. But yeah, 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 he's, yeah. Like, he's, he's in a bar with a bunch of people telling them how all this music means nothing because it's going to be gone in a minute. And what means something is our relationship with God. Like, like, and he's doing it through F-bombs and curse words, but he's so authentic. And I think there's something about that because he can minister to a place of the population that maybe some of us can't. I'm not saying go out and throw F-bombs in your talk so that way you have street cred. That's not what I'm saying. That's just who he is. Right. It's, it's his upbringing. You know, that's part of it. But he has a song. He just released, um, uh, it was like literally last week. And it's not a full song. It's just like, I encourage you to go to his Twitter. Uh, it's just at John Bellion. And it's like yeah. maybe like a, like a 45 second clip of a song. But in that song, he says, he says, content is not king. Coretta Scott was not TikToking. Don't shoot a dance to this. This is an effing manuscript. <laughs> and I love what he's saying because he's saying like content is not king. And Coretta Scott King was obviously the, the wife of Martin Luther King Jr. Yeah. She was a, a civil rights activist. 
And she was causing change in the world, not by TikToking. She wasn't just producing trendy content. She was creating from what was placed upon her heart and she was going out. Whether people liked it or not, that's what she was doing. And that causes change in the world because it came from a the creation came from an inside right. rather than let me do something from the outside to please those, right? You were inspired by God versus you're inspired for someone's approval. Two different things. And so he's like, Credit Scott King wasn't TikToking. Don't write a don't don't shoot a dance to this because that's like the super trend on TikTok right now, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Take yeah. a song, stupid dance with your family, and that's all great and all innocent, harmless, whatever. But he's like, this is not that. He's like, this is a manuscript. Like the art that I'm putting out it, it, it is is heavy and it's truthful and it's raw and it's meant to move your heart. It's not simply content. And I just love the fact that he's able to sum up probably what I'm taking too long telling you right now no, in a matter of bars. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, I love so it. when you get a chance, check it out. Fair warning, there is an F-bomb in there, but I think it's appropriately placed and it gets the point across. I love it. You know? I love it, man. We got Adam Eichelberger here. Adam Eichelberger. Uh, oh, you know Adam? Oh, I love, I, I love it. I, yeah, I love what's you. up, guys? What's going on, Adam? And just for reference, everybody, as soon as Adam call, asks his question – uh, you can call in the show, and we'll get you queued up for the next question. Adam, what's what's going on, man? You guys know each other. Hey, how are you guys doing? Yes. <laughs> good, good, good. I love Augie. Augie, we met back at Steubenville West like years ago when we were both working at Parishes out, out this way, huh? Yes. Yeah, it was, it was a long time ago when we, when we first picked up. A long time ago. Yeah, and it was at a Steubenville conference. Yep, yep. Yep. All right, so here, all right. So I have, I have one very – so I met him. Go for it. Sorry, cut you off. <laughs> no, 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 you're good. No, you'll catch up with me in, in tattoos someday. It's okay. Um, okay, so I got okay. two. I've got two questions. One of them is one of them is that, like I, I, I really want I really want to know um, if you could say uh, I, I need an answer for both of these. Okay. One of them is very important. One of them is not as important. But two things. Um, one, who would you say like the top three influences in the work that you do, whether it's when you're speaking, when you're considering or putting out things in the realm of design, uh, like what are the three influences that you bring into that work? And my second question is this, can you or will you finally explain why you and Clark Kent or Superman have never been seen in the same room? I'll take my answer off the air. <laughs> oh, that was... Oh, Augie. <clears throat> what a guy. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, and he just I, hangs I, up instantly. He's uh, <laughs> done. He dropped it. Yeah. Um, uh, well, I don't know. Like, since I just I, I took all my hair off last week, and so I don't know if that comparison really works anymore, Augie. But I appreciate it. Um, the whole Superman, Clark Kent, nerdy guy with glasses. I get it. I get it. I'll own it. I'll own it. The next but, conference, uh, you got to walk I out there with a Superman logo on your shirt. Oh, <laughs> just for man. It. <laughs> See how many people. It would giant. be such a letdown for the people. <laughs> oh man! They're like, really? Superman? He's middle aged and kind of balding and overweight, huh? You know. So, anyways. <laughs> oh man, influences. Influence. You take that for that first answer there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So influences for me um, when I'm speaking um, would be John Mulaney. Um, I just feel if you've ever watched John Mulaney's comedy stand up on Netflix, um, I. He's just a goofy guy and very awkward. He lives into that for his comedy, and I am a I'm a very goofy, awkward person, and um, I'm just such a cornball too. So I just live into that um, and let that kind of work for me as best as it can or doesn't. Who knows? Um, and beyond that, uh, I get 
Yeah, I, I just, a lot of John Mulaney, I sometimes have some Kevin Hart that I think influences me um, in just my style of speaking. Um, I was obviously, like, you you brought up Justin Fatika uh, earlier in the show. He was a great mentor of mine. Him and I, uh, he's in Syracuse, New York. I born and raised in Syracuse, New York, and worked with Hard as Nails for about a year uh, before I actually started working uh, full-time professionally in ministry. And he's always been just a huge mentor in my life. It influences me a lot um, in just so much that I do. Um, yeah, so those are kind of my influences there. Um, Clark Kent thing is a question directed towards you, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I would say for my influences, uh, maybe I'll, I'll kind of separate like um, sharing or speaking or whatever, you know, whatever that would be versus uh, design. I think um, from like a, a sharing or a, a ministry speaking aspect, I, uh, I've always loved uh, Fulton Sheen just because he's, um, he's very poetic in, mm. in the way he speaks. And I think um, one thing I really, really admire about a lot of um, present day evangelical preachers is um, they um, not only, you know, are they clear about the commun- information they want to communicate, but they are able to sort of um, communicate it in a way whether that's through um, various various devices, like whether it's alliteration or the cadence from it, or sort of whatever it may be, the sort of mnemonics to it, communicate in a way that it's just sort of like um, it's received well. Do you know what I mean? Like it's not right. just information, but it, it maybe carries a little bit of that, that essence of beauty that's just, oh, the way you said that really hits. Do you know what I mean? And you could say that same thing 10 different ways that would just be information. But if you say it in that order with that emphasis and that pause and then hit, yeah. uh, it's just kind of, you, you know – and I think Fulton Sheen very much had that in the way he spoke and the way he he, he would write. Yeah. And so uh, I love that. And and obviously, I mean, I, I am inspired by a lot of um. I think modern day uh, evangelical preachers. I, I think uh, they yeah. they do that very well. And I think there is a there is a sense when I see that in Fulton Sheen or whoever else um, of of it's one thing to maybe study something and then to be able to to speak about it or share it. Yeah. It's another thing, I think, to turn it into what feels like some essence of art. Right. Do you know what I mean? Because I think at the end of the day, information rarely moves people. But like the the the, the way and the context in which information is 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 sort of made tangible right. to a person's environment, to their mind, to the heart. It's really what what sort of gives um the information wings, so to speak. So I think Fulton seems a big one. I really, really uh, appreciate Peter Kreeft. Mm. Uh, for that same way for for his writing, I think he's incredibly witty, um, and I love that he nothing's off off the table for him. You know, like he he talks. He's not just like, well, let me teach you about the Eucharist. Like he'll take like his book. Uh, what is it like? Um, everything you want to know. Everything you want to know about heaven, but never thought to ask. Right. And he starts going into all these different things that you're like, oh man, I didn't think about that in heaven. But that's a great question to ask about heaven. You know, and right. and he just goes for it, I, and he does it with a. Uh, again, I think a, a he's obviously theologically trained and laden with theology, but he's, but he's very philosophical in the way he presents it. And I think philosophy, when done well, has that sense of that that cadence or poetry or the the push and the pull that sort of allow you to grapple with it more than just information or just like stating dogma. You know, right. um, Christopher West is another one. I, I'm a, I'm a huge follower of Christopher West. I love again, he he's goes places where people probably don't feel comfortable going, but he does it in a way with, I think, authenticity and really, I think, a, a sense of, um, of cadence and, and beauty to how he speaks as well. 
design wise, uh, there is a plethora of just actual designers, which is probably too far to list here. Um, but one of the things that inspires me with design I w- are, I would say, environment and music. And so environment, if I can get in like a, mm. like an old place, like I love vintage and antique things, like anything that feels like it happened 50 or 60 years ago, for some reason, when I'm in that environment, that just starts to stir me for design. And it may even not be like related to ministry, but just, I just kind of want to create. The other thing, uh, music wise, I think 21 pilots is a huge inspiration. Um, they, they again are so tactful in the, what they're actually saying and then the way they choose to say it and then the music they put behind it in order to bring it to someone's life super powerful. And I think it really is a beautiful example of maybe even something like a new evangelization or something. Uh, they, they know how to speak to someone's heart, uh, with truth. And I think with, with a sense of belonging and love, but also a a sense of calling them to something better than just settling maybe in that, that, that place they're at. Um, it's just, they're powerful. Uh, I really love, love them. They challenge me to think differently and, and just the way they present and create kind of inspires a lot of like just different design stuff. Um, cause they're very unconventional in the way they create, you know, I remember one of them, uh, one time they were asked, uh, do you write your own music? And, and one of the responses was like, did you listen to the breakout, the breakdown after like that chorus? He's like, nobody would write that. Trust me. It's all us. In other words, like yeah. they acknowledge that like, they're just kind of out in their own world. And obviously they're way popular and big now, but when they were starting, it was like, okay, these guys aren't doing things normally. And I think like they're very creative in that expression. They just sort of like, you know what? No, let's stop it here and bring in a trombone. You know, like what? But they do it and it works, yeah. you know? So they inspire me a lot. I love that, man. Dude, Plus, yeah. I, I, I will say real quick on 21 Pilots, if y'all ever get a chance to go to one of their shows, I hands remember- down, the way they combine not only what they say, but the the aesthetics of that room, the graphics, the motion loops, all it's unbelievable that 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 experience is is phenomenal i remember hearing you talk on a cath creatives podcast once about a show you and your wife had gone to about how it inspired yeah. some, something that you were doing yeah dude that's cool i love shows awesome. like that it's really powerful how i mean in terms of like this influence thing it, it kind of struck a question in me because something that i struggled with so much was like how how do you look at your influences, take from them what you will, and kind of make it your own, and not become a replica <clears> of them? Because for me, especially my the beginning of my ministry, and my friends would tell you this, and they would rag me on this. Like I tried so hard to just be like this youth minister I looked up to, or Justin Fertika for that matter. Sure. Like I mean, it was me going in the room for the first year of my ministry, or more maybe, where I was just like. Ugh! Jesus Christ, your Lord said, you know, just like really, really high yeah. energy. Like I'm going to like, you know, come at you or something. Just H- handstand pushups, handstand pushups, all the whole nine. Um, <laughs> but that wasn't like me, like just can do that so authentically and right. it's so real, but I needed to figure out my own self and take with like the good things that were inspiring me and make them my own. How, how have you yeah. done that? And not like just become a replica. How have you become David Calvita and who you are? Yeah, I think um, I think there's a a normal sort of human aspect that in the early stages of of anything you're trying to to learn how to do uh, that mimicking and I don't mean mocking, but like the mimicking yeah. or the replicating of right. the thing or the person that you um, are admiring. Right. 
is, is a normal part, I think, of the learning process because you, you have to have like that, that exact sort of um, blueprint to figure out how you actually create a blueprint. Do you know what I mean? Or create that thing. And, and, um, and I think that that's okay. Obviously, there's a problem when you start to push that line and claim it as yours. And obviously, you see this in design world a lot in that, um, you know, like some guy, like, for example, uh, okay, so um, this guy right here, uh, his name is John Contino. He's a, an amazing uh, illustrator out of uh, New York area. And, and his whole thing is this really rugged by hand sort of uh, stuff. And he, he's like, he's popularized this, this aesthetic. And, and he's made a huge name for himself doing that. But then like quickly, once it starts to rise, become this popular thing, then all of a sudden you have like these copycat artists and, and it's, um, again, it's one thing to be inspired by it. And I think try to learn how to do that style, but then to venture out and say, how do I, how do I make it my own or even, or even out of intellectual honesty, just make it different. So you're not, you know, cause you may be like, well, I don't know my own flair. Cause I really, really like this yes. fight yourself and say, I need to make it different for the sake of respecting that artist, you know? Right. Um, <clears throat> I'm sure with, with speaking and any sort of art, uh, music and stuff, like we start at this, this stage of emulation or the stage of mimicking and learning. Um, and I would say for me, if there is any authenticity in what I'm doing, I think it's come when I've uh, al allowed myself to, to move into a place of freedom where I'm trying to create from who I am and what God is doing in me right. and not – for the sake of someone's approval or, or applause or thumbs up. And I think that I was talking with some artists last week about this idea that, that uh, we we're talking about the idea of inspiration and, and, and we kind of denoted that we can be inspired by someone or inspired for someone. Mm -hmm. And we kind of separated that to mean that inspired by means that, that, that someone has created something and you've received it. It could be a song. It could be a movie. It could be an environment and you've received it. In, in other words, like it's kind of moved you yeah. and stirred this sort of creative nature in you. Now from that inspiration, you take that momentum and you figure out what your road looks like and start doing your own out outlet of that input. If that makes sense. Right. And that's inspired by they move you, but you, you make something in response to it, but inspired for, is when you say, what is that person like? Or in this case, what does that platform like? What is that group of people like? I'm going to create something that I know they'll approve of. So then I get the approval, right? So the right. difference is there's been a lot of artists that talk about how basically Instagram kills artists because the algorithm and the likes and the shares and the comments, yeah. you can know what, what an audience, what will trigger an audience to give you all the thumbs up and the sh hands emojis and all that stuff. Yeah. And you can create to that. And all you're doing then is creating from a, pl a place of imprisonment for people's approval. And I think in my own life, if there, again, if there is any authenticity in any of my ministry or art or whatever it may be, has been in those places where I've come to a, a conclusion with God and myself that like, you've made me special and different and uniquely me. And so I'm going to speak as David Calavita. And I struggle with that. Cause here's the thing. I, I'm not, I'll be honest, I'm not super well educated. Like I don't have a degree in anything. Okay. Yeah. I, I speak really fast and I, I my, my words flub up and people be like, Oh, he talks too fast. And he needed to talk about X, Y, and Z. <laughs> and I'm like, 
And there's this weight of like, oh man, dang it, I'm not like X, Y, and Z. I need to slow down or I need to enunciate or I need to read a dictionary or whatever it may be. And I don't, I'm not against any of that for the sake of um, improving the craft. Right. But when, I, when this pressure of doing it because then someone will like it, I, I realized, no, like God, like, like you didn't create me and call me into, let's say, ministry to share the gospel in the way my coworker shares the gospel or in the way my friend shares the gospel or that person shares the gospel. You actually want the gospel to be heard in and through this filter that is me in all my brokenness, imperfections, quirks, and, and, and tendencies. Do you know what I mean? And so like right. what stirs me, God wants to shove the gospel through that filter of me and let someone see that or experience that hopefully. And I think, um, but it takes freedom to do that. And it's not easy. And I'm telling you like hypo- yeah. like very hypocritically, like it's a struggle to, to, to not speak for someone's approval or to not create for someone's applause. Right. And, and I think right. true freedom allows you to become who you are and focus on your, your distinct aspects of how would you say, like the way you talk about the cross and the way I talk about the cross should sound different. Yeah. The truth and the message is consistent, but, but, but what the cross has resonated in certain ways in my life because my life experience that differ from yours. Yeah. And that's good. And it means that that God wants the world to hear both aspects of the resonation of the cross in different lives because it's going to appeal to different people. Right. You know, so I don't know if that's if that's too much no, in, in that direction, but but that's what I would say as far as the the idea of um, transitioning from from learning and mimicking, modeling, yeah. and then find freedom in who you are to take skill that skill. And start to allow it to come out of your nature, so to speak. No, totally. I hear that. I I started to feel that freedom more so when I when I came out here to the West Coast, left the East Coast, and my where I grew up, my home, and everything. And I I really found like this is this is how I talk. This is how I lead. This all all those things. Just all those things kind of really. And marriage has helped a ton. Like Christina really. Like for sure, she's like, she's like, no, 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 you're way too fluffy. So cut there. the crap. Yeah, exactly. Cut the crap. Be real. Like this is not. Yeah. Change. Do you? Can I ask you a question on that? Because I think it's interesting. Like, because obviously you start doing ministry on the East Coast, and then you move like as far as you could away to the West Coast, literally, and sort of have have to re-establish yourself in ministry there. Mm-hmm. And do you think that um uh that when you're around, it, maybe it's a little bit of the, uh, the a prophet has no honor in his hometown kind of yeah, idea. Yeah. But but in that like like the people around you knew you as maybe what you incorrectly or not tried to portray yourself as. Hundred percent. Yeah. And then so there was like a almost like a I've got to maintain this uh, facade or, or this kind of persona. Whereas over there there was like a blank slate or freedom to be like they don't know me from Adam. So I could just be me and they're like, oh, cool. This is you. Do you know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? That question? No, totally. I think, yes, I think there was probably that. I've never thought of it, I guess, in the perspective of me, not of like me feeling freedom in that. I've actually never thought of that. That's a really good point. Um, But I think that's totally true and and real. Like like when I was home and when I'm in Syracuse, um, even this day, if I go back and visit, it's like people know who I was when I was growing up at Holy Family Church and, like, wh- mm-hmm. what the type of kid I was in the youth group and, like, the, the, my strengths, my weaknesses, why I was, like, how I was flaky at that time a lot. how Like, all these different things, like, in all of my life, people knew it. And so they kind of came at me with expectations, whereas when I'm here, 
people don't have any expectations. They're just like, show me like who is this guy who's random and new in town. And like, yeah, I guess I get to kind of be that person. Um, whereas like, mm-hmm. yeah, there, there was that kind of expectation of me of who I was and who people knew I was at my home. Um, and so it's just interesting how that is. Um, it's such an interesting point yeah. too. I never thought about that from my own perspective. I was always like thinking about the other people. That's interesting. Good question, man. Yeah. Uh, you're, mm. you're becoming the interviewer. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, to close out the show, David, um, what are some book suggestions you would uh, give the listeners to, to take away with them? Sure. Um, spiritual books. I would, uh, I would definitely recommend Christopher, Christopher West, fill these hearts. Mm. That book for me is, um, what I love about it. it it's, it's, um, if you're, familiar, if you're familiar with Christopher West, it's obviously theology of the body kind of oriented, yeah. but that book reads as, um, it's filled with theology, but it doesn't, it doesn't hit like a theology book. It's not a book you study in the sense of like, you know, what, what is the doctrine of X, Y, and Z? It's, it, 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 it moves in a very relational way with the reader. Um, I, again, what I would say, probably a big difference if I'm, if I'm honest. Now, granted, I would say like, it's not like I've, I'm all encompassing to reading every Catholic book out there, but I will say a big difference I've noticed in most like Catholic authors versus a, an evangelical author yeah. is that most evangelical books actually move the heart with the information and, and we're really good at presenting information. And I think obviously like 2000 years of, of tra- tradition, history and, and theology, that's a lot of information to stand on and that's great. And, and maybe it's our, our go-to or our comfort. Yeah. But I think what I preach about Christopher West is that he's merged both of those in that book, Fill These Hearts. Mm. And so I wouldn't even classify it really as like a theology of the body book, or that's what it is. I just classify it as like, this is a book for human human beings who have desires, who struggle, who who have longings, and question a lot about why they do the things they do. Yeah. And uh, and it, I, I remember reading that book and just being so... Um, uh, so reminded of the freedom the gospel gives me, mm. if that makes sense. To the point I, I um, was reading it in a sauna. It's where I do most of my reading because it distracts me from the enormous amount of heat in that room. <laughs> and uh, and I was reading it and, and like this guy comes in who um, you kind of have a sauna. This is weird. I might be getting on a, a, a tangent, but saunas are kind of like kind of like the neighborhood bar. Like you find the same characters and you all end up there at the same time on certain nights. And it's like, hey, hey what's up? You may not know their name, but you know, like the, ha it's you kind of thing. Yeah. And at this particular time years ago, this one guy, this, uh, uh, his name's Peter and he kept coming to the sauna and, uh, it's crazy. This is, sm- I, this is a tangent. So if you cut me off, you're welcome to, I'll, I'll let you, but you can edit the heck out of this if you need to. <laughs> but, uh, I met this guy, Peter in the sauna cause I would go all the time. Uh-huh. And he knew I was a Christian because in the sauna, you just have conversations like at the bar. Naturally. Um, and yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, well, cause you're just sitting there dying. You're like, if you're dying, I'm dying. Let's at least talk while we're dying. Right. Yeah. And, um, have this conversation. And so he, he's very proudly a very smart intellectual atheist. Okay. And, um, but, but like we had a cool relationship. It was like, we were sauna bros in a sense. Right. Like, What's up dude. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he was, he was older than me. And, um, and this one day I came in reading that book and I just read through it once and then I was just rereading it in the sauna. And, uh, he's like, well, what's that book about? Cause he always kind of like being an intellectual, he's like, you know, kind of looking for things to poke. And I just explained to him in a nutshell, like basically like the goodness of the human heart. And he's like, what? I was like, yeah, like that God made, made us good. And, and even the desires that, that end up doing bad things stem from a, 
a place of goodness and they've been twisted. And that reality is like, and I tried to, I basically started to testify like these struggles I have in my life uh, across the board, that they actually are, are, are good. They're just disordered. And so I get to the core of them. Right. Yeah. And, um, and, and so, um, I was sharing this and, and he was amazed by it. And he, I gave him a copy of it, moved away. Years later, went back randomly, found him in the sauna. <laughs> of course. He had, a huge, he had a huge conversion to Christianity and he's like, it helped leading at his church now. Wow. Like, and not, not that it's me or the book, but I was just like, dang, like, like maybe that played one little part that actually got a small impact of a moment. Yeah. Yeah. So I love Christopher West. Um, I love Peter Kreeft and I love Father Jacques Philippe. I would say any of their books are are go-tos for me, for sure. I love it, man. Cool, man. So you go in a sauna one day, and it's super hot, and boom, you're dead. Die in a sauna. Right, right. You have your cause up for canonization. You're going to become a saint, and the Pope says, we need to call David back down here so he can tell us he's going to be the patron saint of what would you choose? Okay, so it has. Well, you're gonna be disappointed. I, I, I think, uh, I think I would, I would be the patron saint of hummus. Um, it has nothing. I don't know how to make it. I think it comes from heaven. I'm not sure how it gets to my refrigerator, but uh, I, I, I absolutely love hummus. I'll put it on anything. And uh, at the end of the day, I don't know. I want to live a life that uh, is in submission to God and enjoys that life. Yeah, I'm working on it, and I think hummus is a part of that enjoyment. So, Got oh, it. there you go. Gotta enjoy Take your that. Hummus. David Calavia, the aspiring patron saint of hummus. You gotta put his face on that hummus container next time when you're uh think if you're if you're out there and you want to start a business right now, here you go. This is yeah, this is the start yeah. of getting David to be the patron saint of hummus. You gotta put his face on there. And you put a Superman logo to Side note. <laughs> no, no, see I I've already thought this through, man. Okay, so picture a, a self-serve yogurt restaurant. You know what I'm saying? Like yogurt land or something like that, uh, what they have out there, right? Okay. But instead of yogurt, it's hummus. Hummus. Yeah, yeah. Various you various, come in, you grab your pita. Of <laughs> yeah, various flavors of hummus. And then the topping bar is like pita and like vegetables and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's <laughs> even called it's even called hummus among us. Okay, I've thought this out, man. Dude, I'm going big time. I'm going to be on Shark Tank. You're going to see me. I am going places. Yeah, Mark Cuban is – he's – all of the, the <laughs> Dallas Mavericks are going to be uh, at that restaurant every single day to get to get ready. To get ready for the next – Got to go hit up Hummus Among Us. <laughs> hummus Among Us. Dude, oh my gosh. I love it. Dude, thanks so much for being on the show. Um, I just want to acknowledge you too and, and yeah. thank you because I think you're a person who has – really pushed uh leadership in the church and design in the church and made people look at it um in a serious way and, and take it seriously so that we're not just going with the status quo we're 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 looking at what's good true and beautiful especially with how we we create our bulletins our, our websites everything man so i just thank you for that and, and just your leadership in terms of like you don't claim it all for yourself you always bring up patrick and your team and everybody so it's like just seeing that that humility in you to just give the light to them, that's that's amazing. So thanks for doing what you do, man, and, and thanks for being thanks, on the show. Man. All right, everybody. I if, appreciate you having me. God bless you, man. Yeah, God bless you too, man. Everybody, go subscribe to the Nick Longo Show. You can get it anywhere. You listen to podcasts, even ask Alexa to play it, and you can hear David and I chat some more if you want to re-listen to this. You're watching on the live stream. And uh, go check out David at David Cal everywhere on social media. And it's going to be a good time. All right. Take care, everybody.